Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Anytime you're in the Huntsville area, we hope you'll stop in and be part of our worship. Sunday morning worship is at 9 o'clock, with Bible class immediately following. Sunday evening worship is at 5. Midweek Bible study is held Wednesdays at 7. Good evening. I imagine many people were expecting to see Glenn tonight, but I think they tricked y'all. I'm teaching. Paul asked me last week if I could teach Bible class tonight, and he asked me to teach on the names of Jesus, specifically the names that Jesus called himself. Now, he asked me last Wednesday, so, you know, of course I had time to read the Bible from beginning to end and find all the names of Jesus, right? I used that wonderful thing called the Internet, and compiled some lists. And I went through and I compiled them alphabetically. And there were some names that I took off my list that I I decided I didn't want to include. Uh, And we won't go through all of them because there's 102 that I came up with. And I know that, uh, you know, there are potentially more, but what I came up with on my list was 102 names of Jesus throughout the Scripture. Uh such as, you know, Revelation one eighteen, where he's called the Alpha and the Omega. Or Hebrews 12.2, where he's the author and finisher of our faith. And so forth. There, and just for comparison, I printed off my list, nine pages long, 12-point font, with a single spacing between the scriptures, and it took nine pages. So, it was quite a list of names. But like I said, Paul asked me to teach this class on the names of Jesus, and I will teach part of it tonight, and I will pick up, uh, I believe it's August 10th, and finish the class. Um, He had asked me if I could do three different nights on it, and unfortunately my schedule I was not able to. Um, So I'm going to cover it in two nights. Tonight we're going to look at uh, an introduction And then we're going to talk about uh, some of the I am's from John, since we're talking about names that Jesus called himself. If you talk about names that Jesus himself referred to, or referred to himself, uh, you have the seven I am's in uh, John. Then you have in John 8 where he says I am, which is not typically considered in the seven I am's. Then you also have in Revelation one eighteen where he calls himself the Alpha and the Omega, and Revelation 3.14 where he calls himself the Amen, uh, and the beginning of creation. So there are various different times when you see Christ refer to himself other than Jesus or Christ. So when, we were, when I was looking at all this material... Uh, I was, like I said, I got online and I was looking up list of the name, list of Jesus' name in the Bible, different names for Jesus in the Bible, and came across you know various lists. And one of the questions that I kept seeing over and over and over again is, why would you want to study the different types or the different names of Jesus? And I thought that's you know a very good question. Why would you want to study the different names of Jesus? And the answer to that 
is there are many misconceptions about Jesus. Not only were there misconceptions about Jesus during the time in which he lived. You know, as we study John 6 tonight, we'll look at how when Jesus fed them with the loaves and the fish, they went to seek him physically and make him a king on this earth. Why? Because they had a misunderstanding of what he was there for. They didn't understand who he was. They wanted to make him their physical king instead of their spiritual king. The same thing happens today. People don't understand who Jesus is. You have people who look at Jesus and they see him as love, which we know Jesus is the ultimate love, but they don't see him as one who can carry out judgment. They think if I'm a good person, then that's all that I need. But when you look at Jesus and the way he describes himself, he tells you a little bit about his character. If you look at Matthew 16 or Mark 16, you see misconceptions about Jesus in the biblical times when they were trying to identify who he was and they were calling him Elijah, John the Baptist, Jeremiah, or a prophet. There are misconceptions about him throughout all time. As a Christian, Paul said, be followers of Christ as he was, right? 1 Corinthians 11. We're to imitate Christ. We're to be like him. How can we be like him if we don't understand him? So I think it's imperative as a Christian that we understand that who Jesus is, who he was. So this, throughout this study, we'll look at the I am's and John and try to understand some of the uh, characteristics that he described himself or uh, gave himself. So, open your Bibles to John chapter 6. That's where we'll begin tonight. John chapter 6. I hope to make it through the first two. If we do that, I'll consider that a win. I know there's seven and I've got two nights. But if we make it through three, I'll be amazed. Honestly, we'll make it as far as we can in the two nights, two, two nights that we have to study and, and that will have to be sufficient. I don't want to just rush through it for, for sake of covering all seven though. But in John chapter 6, you have Jesus where he calls himself the bread of life in verse 35. Now, Jesus saying that he is the bread of life here is, is following the miracle in, in the early part of John chapter 6 where people came up and they were listening to him and the disciples said, what will we feed them? And he said, well, they had these uh, five loaves of bread and two fish and he said, bring them here and he fed the multitudes. So there was a physical feeding that went along before the spiritual feeding that we're talking about. And the crowd, uh, if you look at verse 15, uh, therefore when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he departed again to the mountain by himself alone. That's what I was talking about, the misconceptions 
of Jesus. You know, people have their own ideas of who Jesus is. They don't listen to what the Bible says. They don't open the Bible and read what it says. They just think, well, if I'm a good person, Jesus will love me. When Jesus was preaching, when he was teaching, they heard what he said, but they didn't apply it. They didn't make the correct application. Jesus didn't tell them that he was there to be the king on this earth. But yet, in verse 15, we see that the scripture records for us that they went to seize him by force to make him king. So the next day, the multitude followed him. You look at verse 24, it says, And when the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, uh, they also got into their boats and came to Capernaum seeking Jesus. So they were following him. Jesus is going to make an accusation against them that they're seeking after him only for the physical food that he provided them. He's going to teach them that what they should be seeking is not physical food, which provides nourishment to the body for just a little bit of time, but spiritual food in which when you partake of it, you will never be hungry or thirsty again. When you look at Matthew chapter 4 and you have the temptation of Jesus by Satan and Satan says here is a a stone turn it into bread that you may eat in Matthew 4 he references Deuteronomy 8 and verse 3 where it says that man shall not live by bread alone but every word that proceedeth from the mouth of God. You know when you look at the scripture and you study it you see a lot of comparisons to the scripture being food because we understand that as humans that if we don't eat we will die if we don't consume food we will die try skipping breakfast in the morning lunch tomorrow and wait till supper to eat and see how hungry you are by that time. We understand that we have to consume food to live. The comparison when Jesus said that he was the bread of life is saying that we have to consume spiritual goodness for our spiritual well-being. So he, when he says, I am the bread of life, he's saying that if you consume my teaching, if you put me on in faith, then you'll never be hungry or thirsty again. So he understands that physical food and drink and physical thirst are the, the, the what he gave them was brief. So they've come to him again. They're seeking more of what he has given them and that the physical food and, and drink only sustain them for a little while. And sooner or later they will die. In verse 49 of John chapter 6, you see they came to him and they and they were saying that you know, Moses gave our forefathers manna in the wilderness. They're, they're prodding him, they're goading him to, to give them more manna, give them more bread, give them more fish. 
In verse 49 and 58, he says they died because that was just physical food, not spiritual food. Jesus set himself forth, did not set himself forth as a bread or just one bread, but as the bread. The one and only. The exclusive and without exception. The bread of life sent from the Father. He set himself as the only source of spiritual and eternal life. As you go through the I Am's, you see John 14. Where he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father except by me or through me. When he says, I am the bread, he's laying that same foundation that he is the one and only bread of life. Through him is the way. I want to look at a few points from this statement. I am the bread of life. Or from this context. Let's look at verse 27 and verse 29. It says, Jesus said there, Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you because God the Father has set his seal on him. In verse 29, Jesus said there, This is the work of God that you believe in him who he sent. There is a understanding here Everybody in this class, it's it's an adult Bible class. Most people in this room, I imagine, have a house or an apartment that they pay for. And in that said place that they live, they have appliances that they probably paid for. And in there, there's a refrigerator that has food in it that you paid for. And there's probably cabinets or pantries that have food in it that you paid for. How did you pay for it? Well, you probably go to work and perform a task at work and then somebody gives you compensation for that work in the form of money. And that money is how you pay for your food. You must work for it. In John 6, 27, when he tells us to seek or to not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food for eternal life. It's an implication that there is work involved in spirituality. It's not just handed to us, but it's worked for. One must work for the food that abide under eternal life. It's a work of God. The second point is that in verse 35... Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. When you eat a hamburger, and you go five, six, seven, eight hours, you're hungry. It didn't stick with you very long. 
I know you've probably heard people talk about meals that lay on you heavy. They really stick to the ribs. Well, there's no meal that will stick to the ribs forever. When you're talking about spirituality, you're talking about seeking Jesus, you're talking about the bread of life, when you partake of that bread, it is forever. Verse 40 says, And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Through the bread of life, we have eternal life. Verse 45. It is written that the uh, it is written in the prophets and they shall excuse me and they shall all be taught by God therefore everyone who has heard and learned from the father comes to me. We go to him through the bread Verse 47, he said, He that believeth hath eternal life. He's laying out the throughout the verses the idea of when you partake of the bread of life, it's eternal. It's forever. It's never fading. You look at 1 Peter, when he talks about inheritance that's you know, set aside, that's incorruptible and undefiled, that fadeth not away. It's not like anything that you've ever seen before because... Nothing that you've ever seen on this earth lasts forever. Everything that you buy corrupts. Buy a brand new car. Drive it off the lot. And it's not worth what you just paid for. it. You can't turn around and go back and then give you the same amount of money that you just gave them. You've lost four to $5,000 more than likely just because you drove it off the lot. Everything new fades and perishes, except for the bread of life. Science experiment with the kids. Take some bread and set it on the, on the counter and just leave it there and see what happens to it. It doesn't stay, well, I guess it stays bread in some sense, but it becomes a mold, a fungus. I'm not a science teacher, I may be wrong. But it, it changes, doesn't it? It doesn't look very appetizing. It doesn't last forever, but the bread of life does. Verse 47, he has eternal life to it. If any man eat of his bread, he shall live forever. Verse 51. Verse 54, same sentiment. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life. Same thing in verse 56. Eight times he talks about the eternality of the bread of life. When you compile all the above statements, you come to the conclusion that Jesus is saying that eternal life is produced by eating his flesh and drinking his blood, but also by believing in him and coming to him. Therefore, to eat the bread of life, or eat his flesh and drink his blood, is a figure of speech for believing in Christ as the Son of God and one who believes in Him comes to Him and understands that He has eternal life through Christ. In John 8 and verse 51, He says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, 
If a man keeps my word, he shall never see death. Now we could get into a big study on how we obtain Christ through baptism. You could look at Acts 2, Romans 6, where you're buried with him in baptism for the forgiveness of sins. You become a new creature in Christ. The old man of sin is put away. But most people in here tonight probably understand what we're talking about. We're talking about Jesus and the names that he called himself. And in John chapter 6 and verse 35, he said, I am the bread of life. And then he goes on to build the foundation that being the bread of life and partaking of that bread is not like partaking of the loaves and the fishes that they partook of in the first part of chapter 6, where they came to him the next day because they were hungry again. He said, when you partake of this bread, you will never be hungry, you'll never be thirsty, you'll be spiritually fed forever. It's a decision to obey Christ, to put on Christ, to follow after Him. He is the bread of life. In John chapter 8, verse 12, we see the statement, I am the light of the world. The subject of light and the identity of Christ as the light are presented to us from the very beginning of the book of John. In John chapter 1, verses 5 through 9, And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came uh, for a witness, to bear witness of the light, that all through him might believe. He was not the light, but was sent to bear witness of the light. There was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. So there in John chapter 1, he is already laying out what he's talking about, about Jesus being the light. Throughout all scripture, you see a comparison of the light being that which is good, that which is holy, that which is right, and the darkness being that which is wicked, evil, and sinful. So when Jesus says that he is the light of the world, it's no surprise. The light is immediately identified by the apostle as one through whom the world was made in verse 10 of John chapter 1. Who became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus the Christ, the only begotten son. In John 8 and verse 12, the Lord confirms the claim that John, that John the baptizer made that he was the light of the world. In John chapter 9 and verse 5, He said, he repeats, you know, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Also in John chapter 12, 35 through 36 and verse 46, he repeats the same sentiment. I am the light of the world. Light and darkness are often used in contrast in the Bible. 
As I said, darkness being a, uh, a, a sentiment for sinful behavior. You look at Proverbs 2 and verse 13, it says, uh, Who forsake the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness. When someone leaves God, they walk in darkness. In Job 10 and verse 21, it says that Job thus depicted death as the land of darkness. And of shadow of death. The Lord likened darkness unto ignorance. Jesus said in John 12, 35, Yet a little while is the light among you. Walk while you have the light, that the darkness overtake you not. And he that walketh in the darkness knoweth not whither he goeth. In Ephesians 5, 8 through 11, Paul equated the truth with light and error with darkness. He said, for you were once in darkness, but now in light in the Lord. He said, for the fruit of the light is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. And have no fellowship with unfruitful works of darkness but rather reprove them. Matthew 25 verse 30, the outer darkness, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Darkness used to describe the final judgment. And also when you're talking about Satan's power in Ephesians 2, 2 and 6, 12, when I was with you daily, when I was daily with you in this temple, you stretched not forth your hands against me, but this is your honor, the power of darkness. Or this is your hour, the power of darkness. So darkness uh, symbolizes that which is evil, symbolizes ignorance of God, that which is harmful and undesirable, erroneous and dreadful. The world was filled with all these elements. In John chapter 12 and verse 46, he said, I have come as a light into the world that whosoever believeth in me should not abide in darkness. The world was coupled with darkness. You go back to the time of Genesis when It repented God that he created man because all the ways of man were evil. Many verses throughout the Bible that depict the state of man and the, the, the mental state of man seeking after wickedness, idolatry, sinful nature. The world was filled with with all these elements of darkness and Christ came as a light to dispel them, to illuminate the darkness, to drive it out. One description of darkness that I I like is, is darkness is the absence of light. It's what you have when you take the light away. You cannot turn or create darkness. It's the absence of light. Once you introduce light into a room, 
the darkness is gone. It repels the darkness. You can turn on the light. You can put forth light. But when you take it away, darkness is what is, <clears throat> darkness is, what is there. The Lord came as a rising sun into the world. It was as a, a switch was flipped to cast out the darkness. Light represents that which is good, that which is righteous, that which is desirable. It represents hope. Jesus' claim that he is the light means that he is the source of all those things. That he is wholesome and lovely and beneficial to all mankind. You ever uh, teach a class and think, I had something to say a minute ago and I, I totally skipped it. Yeah, I was talking about the bread of life. That's one of my key points. One of the things I meant to say was you look at the world and you see all the poverty and the hunger that's in the world. And people that are hungry and starving for food physically. But you also look at the world and you see the people that are starving for the food spiritually. But yet the bread of life is abundantly available. But they won't consume it. All right, I got that out of the way. So back to the light. I don't know what it was that, that triggered that thought, but I was like, man, I missed that. So Jesus' claim that he is the light tells us that he is the, what this world needs to combat the darkness. The announcement and the arrival of the great light in the world is the greatest and most wonderful announcement that was ever made. The term gospel, or the good news, is the ultimate light for humanity. In John 3 and verse 19, it says that men love darkness. They love darkness rather than light, for their works were evil. He that followeth me and walk in, uh, shall not walk in darkness, but shall walk or shall have the light, the light of life. John 8 and verse 12. You know, you've heard the, the people talk about turning on a light switch and, and the, the roaches scatter. When you turn on the light switch of the gospel, evilness or evil scatters. You bring up the Bible or a spiritual subject and people that want to talk about it will stay, but people that don't will flee. They'll leave, they'll leave the room. They'll, they'll get away from, from the subject. Jesus said he was the light of the world. We must follow his example. He is the one and only. Whoever has lived or will live, Without a, he is the one. He is the one and only who has ever lived or will live without sin. Christ, he is uh, in John two and verse first uh, John two and verse six. It says that he that abideth in him ought himself also to walk even as he is walked. 
So to walk after Christ, to abide in him, to, to abide in him is to abide in the light, not to walk in darkness. If we say that we are in him and we walk in darkness, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. We must follow his teachings, his discipleship, his example. John 8, 31. If you abide in me and my word, and you are my disciple indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Free from sin, free from reproach. John 12 and verse 48. He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my saying hath one that will judge him. The word that I spake, the same shall judge him in the last day. One who follows Christ does not walk in darkness. To follow is to obey, to obey his gospel, to obey the word of Christ, to obey the teaching of the Bible. In 1 John 1, 6 and 7, it says, If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. He is the light. We will make it a little further than I expected. I guess that's a benefit or a good thing. In John chapter 10, in verse 7, Jesus said, Most surely I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. Verse 9, he says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. We understand what a door is. Two years ago, my wife and I bought a house. The second house that we have bought since we have been married. We had to upgrade after having two kids a little over a thousand square foot, just didn't cut it. We bought a new house. But it wasn't a new house, it was an old house. It needed a lot of work. There are three doors in that house that have not been replaced yet. I understand a lot about doors and that I'm not good at hanging them, but they get up there. We get them up, and then you have to adjust because it doesn't close, and then you have to make another adjustment. There's a lot of adjustments. We understand what a door is for. You open it to walk through. Jesus saying here in John chapter 10, verses 7 and 9, that he is the door means that you enter through him. You have here also where he's talking about the good shepherd. And the parable here. He's using sheep as his followers. How a shepherd cares for the sheep. But Jesus says he is the door. and Through him, we will be safe.
I guess here you could com- combine John 10 and verse 11 where he says, I am the shepherd. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for his sheep. And when he spoke this to them, I don't think they truly understood what he meant by that. The fact that he was preparing himself to die upon the cross for mission of their sins, that he might be that sin sacrifice, that perfect sacrifice, the Lamb of God, as John told us in John one twenty nine, that taken away the sin of the world. He was that sacrifice that was without blemish, without spot, that we could contact the blood of Jesus Christ for the remission of our sins. So here you have in close succession, John 10, 9, and 10, 11. In fact, 10, 7, 10, 9, both times he says he is the door, and then 10, 11, he says, I am the good shepherd. Once again, you go back to that sentiment that we talked about when he said, I am the bread. Not a bread or just bread, but I am the bread. He is the door. The only door. He is the good shepherd. The only good shepherd. You go back to Paul when he wrote to the Galatians and he marveled that they were so soon removed from the gospel unto another. He said, there's not another but you've been deceived. There are those in the world who want to deceive us to say that this is the way that the shepherd wants to lead us. You know, Paul told the... Or, uh, lost my train of thought. Uh, in Acts 20 where the elders were warned not to, uh, to be wary of sheep or wolves in sheep's clothing. Because they will come in and try to poach the flock. You look at congregations who've had problems in the in past in in, you know, in years past. They have divisions among them. It's usually because somebody came in and split the congregation. Somebody came in and said, "This is not what the Bible wants us to believe. This is what the Bible wants us to believe." And you have people that start following after that. Like I said, you have those like Paul said in Galatians. Where was, uh, yeah, Galatians 1 6, where he's talking about they were so soon removed from the gospel to another, which was not another. You have those who are trying to teach us that there is another way, there is another good shepherd, or it's a different good shepherd than what the Bible teaches us. Like I said, he said, I am the door, I am the good shepherd. There are many, many passages that we could pull from, look at, build foundations for what we're talking about. Where you talk about in Matthew 7, where it says, enter at the straight gate. He talks about few there will be that find it. He said, but wide is the way and broad is the path that leads to destruction. And many will enter there. 
where he says in Matthew 7, where he says in verse 21, you know, that many will come to him and say, Lord, Lord, did I not do this or that in your name? You know, say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, for I never knew you. There are many who would lead us to a different shepherd, to a different door. When you look at John 10, and you see where he says, I am the door. If you're seeking after righteousness, if you're seeking after the bread of life, if you're seeking after the light of the world, and he says, I am the door. And you enter in at this door for salvation. Why would you go to another door? I don't think you would willingly. But you could be led astray. It's like stopping and asking for directions. If you stop and ask somebody who is not honest, maybe maybe you're on a road trip and you're lost and you stop to ask for directions, but the person that you stop and ask just really doesn't care about you, doesn't want to help you, and thinks it would be funny to get you even more lost. So he gives you an attitude inadequate directions. Maybe they're ignorant. and They don't know that they're ignorant. They think they know the way, but they really don't. So they give you directions, but you get lost. Nowadays, there's scarcely a excuse for being lost. Most people have GPS on their phones, type in the address where they're going, and they will, it will carry you there. Now, it can carry you there in error too. That's happened, I'm sure. I know. I experienced it myself. Type in an address on a phone, and it's, it gets you close, but it doesn't get you there. Maybe roads have changed since it was updated. When you look at the Word of God, when you look at the Bible, when you look at the Gospel, the good news. It tells us that this is the way. When we don't understand it, we study. But if we go seek advice from others, we had better make sure that it matches the map. I might be on a road trip. I might be coming to, 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 to an area that Keith knows well. I'm going to pick on Keith. And I might ask Keith for directions. And he might give me the best directions possible. But would it be wrong to verify what he said on a map to make sure that I understood correctly and it indeed does what he says it does? Same thing comes to when we study the Bible. People look at the Bible, they ask other people what it says, and they listen to them their whole lives and never know what it says themselves. I've, I have talked to people about the Bible and they would say something spiritual or scriptural but they would have no idea where it came from. And I said, oh, that's you know, John chapter 4. They'd go, I have no idea. Well, open it and read it. It's, it's right there. They had heard it before but they had no idea where it was at. He is the good shepherd. He is the door. He is the light of the world. He is the bread of life. In a few weeks, we'll continue this study. We'll try to 
cover the rest, the rest of the I am's of Jesus in the book of John? Has anybody got a question before I close? I guess I didn't really do a good job of asking for those. Like I said, there's a lot of material. Best verse to show the central importance of Jesus Christ is John 14 and verse 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's his statement establishes him, Jesus, alone as our only pathway to the Father. You can't argue with that. When we get to John 14, that's, I'll be honest with you, John 14, 1 through 6, some of my favorite passages in the entire Bible. I'll say that a bunch of times, but they really are. Thank you for your attention. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word. If you would like to continue your study of New Testament Christianity, please send your name and address to World Bible School, West Huntsville Church of Christ, 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Or if you prefer, send your name and address by email to wbs at westhuntsville.org.